When the credits start rolling, but the movie keeps haunting you. Before, after. Then it's time to tune in to Dismembering Horror. We'll talk about what worked and also what didn't. We'll dissect every aspect. Maybe someone we shouldn't. They turned out to be completely unreliable assholes. Take it away, boys. Feels so special getting that intro. Hi, Tim. Hi, Ryan. And hello, everyone. That's right. You have entered Dismembering Horror, specifically episode 180 of Dismembering Horror. Welcome one, welcome all, welcome Nightbreeds especially, because that's what we're talking about today. From Clive Barker, from his heart and mind and soul, Nightbreed, but not just any Nightbreed, Nightbreed, the director's cut. It's a long and winding road, but it did exist, and they found it, and they put it back together, which is really kind of an amazing thing, considering that it was presumed lost forever. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty beautiful thing, indeed. Um, cool. Well, anything else before we jump right into it here, Tim? Uh, no, I mean, you know, how are you, Ryan? I'm just excited to be here. As always, how are you? I'm, you know, I'm great. I'm good. Hanging out with the burbs. We got a bird feeder that now they're finally hanging out and uh, they're joining Gary, who's, you know, being nuts. We got a few different Garys, Slick Gary, Nubby Gary, uh, Twirly Tail tail Gary. They're all great. I love love the Garys. Tim has uh, squirrel friends called Gary that uh, come in and nibble out of his hands. It's pretty, uh, pretty wonderful. All right, but this isn't uh, Cinderella or Snow White we're doing today. Snipery the director's cut. So to get into the mode, we like to watch a trailer, and I didn't see a trailer for specifically this 2014 release of the director's cut, so we're going to set the tone with the 1990 original release here. So directed by Clive Barker, written by Clive Barker, and based on his novella Cabal... Here we go. Nightbreed, the director's cut. Who's buried in Midian? Ain't nothing but dead folk. Somewhere. (laughs) Hidden from sight. Closer than you might think. Is a place that's not on any map. Midian. Something's breeding there. It looks a lot like hell. But they call it home. There goes the neighborhood. They're not pretty. They're not neighborly. Y'all come back now, you hear? They're not even human. But this time, they're the good guys. From the imagination of Clive Barker comes Nightbreed. You can't go down there! They have only one enemy. A beast called man, sworn to destroy the Nightbreed. Sounds like we're going head to head with the devil himself. And only one chance. And there we have it, folks. Set the mood. Set the Nightbreed mood here. All right. Well, from the trailer, we like to curtail into our rating system here, or curtail that into our rating system. Would we tell ourselves? to avoid, stream, rent, or buy Nightbreed the Director's Cut. 
Who shall go first? You can go first, Ryan. All right. Why not? Let's see. I want to see it again in life with people. (laughs) (laughs) I think would be more fun than I watched it on my own. Um, I... I'm going to give it a rent it. It was like just a kind of a weird experience watching on my own. Um, just on my, just on my screen here. I don't know. It was, it was hard to like super, super get into it, but like I loved so much about it, um, which I'll, I'll save for when we really get into it that I really got to tip my hat at least now and give it a rent it. Hmm. I think I agree. I think I feel the same way. Um. I'm. My experience watching it was not that enjoyable. I just was sort of like very lukewarm about it. There's stuff that I love, but overall, I wasn't like hell yeah. I'm so psyched about this movie. So I don't know if that makes me a stream. I think it does. Which is kind of a bummer, I guess. I don't know. So I'm going to be a stream. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry to myself. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, I just like was watching some footage from the 2014 like fan screening in Westwood of the premiere of the director's cut. Like, man, that would have been the way to see it. Because the world building is so cool. Just, I mean, yeah, we'll get into what's so cool about it. Anyway, yeah, it was just, I don't know if it was the best movie just to watch <laughs> alone here. That would, it's about like, uh, I don't know, working with, uh, working with your brethren to overcome the man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A common theme. Yeah. All right. Well, okay, Tim. Well, what did even happen in the film, if you'd be so kind to give us a summary? Because, folks, we're going to, we'd like to hope that you watched it with us, let's say. We're going to speak oh, as man. if you have. Yet, at the same time, we want to welcome all those who haven't. So, this is just for everyone and all of us here to get on the same page. Hmm. What is that page, Tim? What was Nightbreed, the director's God. cut? Okay, so let's see. What do we got? We got, we got this dude named Boone. And uh, he's got some some mental instability in his past, and this is up in Canada. And uh, there's a there's sort of a series of of murders, and and he becomes the the prime suspect, partially because of his therapist or like his former therapist or whatever. And um, that leads him down this pathway of, of trying to I don't know exonerate himself or figure out what's going on. And he he's having dreams about this place called Midian. Uh, and I, I think he there's like lore about it. And um, through various people that he interacts with, he gets kind of he, he follows the clues and he ends up finding this place, Midian, which is like um, kind of like another realm. It's the kind of stuff that I, I generally really like. But it, it's it's in a graveyard, but it's below a graveyard. And he oh god he meets a bunch of monsters basically like different creatures that that live in midian and all the while he's kind of being chased by the the cops and detectives and eventually he he gets killed by them 
by the cops. He's sort of set up. And he dies, but then he's not dead because he got bit by one of the creatures. And so he he goes he he comes back to life and be, he kind of becomes a creature. And I mean, Midian's really cool. It's like it's very it's sort of all very queer, and uh, the monsters are all kind of representational of others, like the disenfranchised or marginalized or things like that. And it's it's super queer and it's great. And let's see what else. So, I mean, basically, the much of this movie is sort of the, a commentary. You know, he's got the cops after him, and they're all this hard force, and like we're gonna get the the, the guy who's different and weird, and like we don't understand him, and we don't understand this place where there are these different people or creatures or whatever. So let's just blow it all up and burn it down because we're we're cops and we're scared of stuff. Um, so it's, you know, ultimately a commentary on authoritarianism in a lot of ways. Well, that's your editorializing, Tim. This is Oh, a- shit. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're right. Um, <laughs> and you forgot there's the uh, the romance at the center of it all, too. We have a yeah, B story going on. Yeah, I didn't know how to leave on. that in there, but it's there. Well, m- meanwhile, his main gal, Lori, is on the hunt to see what happened to him and right. tracks his whereabouts to Midian and gets caught up in the uh, <laughs> happenings as well. That's right. Um, I guess the big through line, besides my editorializing, is that his therapist, who's played by none other than David Cronenberg, is actually the serial killer who's obsessed with finding Midian because why? I don't know. He wants to become one of them, but he also hates them. Maybe because they don't want him to be one of them. I got a little confused he's about just, his motives. He's, a, he's just a jerk. This is not editorializing. He is a crazed leather daddy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so he's been killing people. And then he sort of sets out to to frame Boone and then to find Midian and then destroy Midian. And there's, like, a pretty insane, like, action sequence, fight, battle, whatever. There's a there's kind of like a battle royale a- a action sequence with lots of explosions and lots of Boone and, and Cronenberg f- fighting and falling all over the place while Midian crumbles. But also, one of my favorite um, entities just in... In, in all of human lore, there's my, my bud Baphomet, who I love. I love Baphomet. I wear Baphomet pins and, and necklaces and stuff. I'm a real Baphomet, you know, stan. Wait, and to what? See Baphomet, are, you, are you being sarcastic? What are you talking about? I'm not being sarcastic. I, I have deeply philosophically connect with the concept of Baphomet. If you want to go down that rabbit hole, be my guest. Uh, but it's sort of a, a I don't know, a, a deity, if you will. There's a lot of debate over where it came from and whatever. But it's an it's an icon or a deity that represents duality in man and, and humans and, you know, sort of a a more I, I take it as a more modern sort of non-binary aspect that all of us have the feminine and the masculine in us and that you know it's not 
a goat-headed Satan. It's 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 more of a pagan deity that's based in balance. And I I I actually quite like that. That's it I respond to that. So I'm a big Baphomet fan. Very appropriate for that uh the dark and light, the monsters and mm-hmm. the non-monsters. Cool. Right. Um so they got to save Baphomet from getting killed in Midian as well. And uh Baphomet's kind of like what would you call that style of I mean it is their god but it's a physical form as well down there in the in the depths of Midian. Um and Boone kind of is imbued with or Moon <laughs> is imbued with the the essence of Baphomet I think is sort of how things pan out. Um, there's all these subplots too going on of different characters that are kind of hard to pick apart and not that important for the summary. But in the end, we, uh, you know, we, uh, we went out over the bad guys who are, you know, presented as, as the cops and the, and the authoritarians. And, uh, it's kind of Cinderella-y actually. So he can tie it to Cinderella. Yeah. Yeah. We just did it. Actually, yeah, that, that ending shot where it's like they're all on the hill together and yeah. he's, she's back and she's back alive. Something Disney-esque about it. Mm-hmm. All right. I think, you know, it reminds me of the ending of The Matrix when when Neo... Well, what, is that the second one? It is the second one, I think, where Neo reaches inside of Trinity and pulls out the bullet and like brings her back to life the first matrix trinity kisses neo and he comes back to life a lot of that kind of stuff very very fairy tale style stuff yeah well so it's all right it's cool it's complicated cool all right well then with that are you ready for our next big section where we talk about what worked boy am i all right and kind of Transition into that and give a, a final in summary summary. Here we go into our next section of Nightbreed, the director's cut, which is the film that filmmaker Alejandro Jodorowsky called the first truly gay horror fantasy epic. All right, here we go. What worked? I mean, that right there, Tim, there's a lot of, you know, the overarching things, um, the queer what's above subtext. I mean, or maybe that is just the technical term for it. But I wouldn't call it subtext. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of just the text. Right. It's so <laughs> fun and good. And I think when I said, like, you know, there are a lot of things that really won me over by the end. I mean, not just the fun of that throughout the whole thing, that and its veins, but by the ending, when it was this story of all these monsters uh, living in the shadows, getting gunned down by the cops and fighting back. And like, you know, the fun of the the deeper, scarier monsters coming out to save mm-hmm. them and their homes getting blown up and everything. You, there mm-hmm. was just so much palpable love 
for these characters and outcasts just in general that I could, I don't know, I couldn't, it was undeniable for me and sort of coming through and was the bit that sort of did get me to sit up uh, on my own here, as much as complaining about it not being fun to watch on my own, just sort of, yeah, all that did come through, that kind of movie magic of a filmmaker's love for something, and in this case, just queer culture, I suppose, and outcast yeah. in general coming through, that, uh, yeah, that was, it was, as Alejandro Jodorowsky said, uh, truly gay horror fantasy epic that uh, in all its pop and circumstance was uh, really working by the end for me. Yeah, I, I I agree completely. I was really, um, I, I guess, taken by and like warmed, I guess, by this representational component of uh the marginalized queer culture and oft oppressed queer culture especially coming out of the 80s when you know the aids epidemic had been they that that entire community had been so targeted and demonized and it just was really cool i thought to to see somebody be like no 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 let's depict them and and like in this fantastical way and and sort of appreciate that 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 they exist for god's sake and that they are under attack by culture a lot of the time and or if not in for all of time maybe not all of time but in modern time they have been and this was a nice just sort of depiction of you know a, a a marginalized group getting to fight back and i thought that was really beautiful in a, in a lot of ways yeah exactly and not what i love is not just the reading itself or that you know whatever you want to call it coming through but it's just the the fun of watching it and being able to read it that way you you, you yeah. get what i mean by that distinguishment yeah i thought the same thing i i i thought to myself you know, w- some of us are going to identify with this through the lens of queer culture. But really, it's not about that. It's about people who are marginalized. And that could be anybody, right? Like, they're, like it doesn't matter what your background is. Like, if you uh, have any experience or, like, know anybody who's been in a position to be marginalized in that way, you can identify with this. And I think that that the universal component to that was really nice. And that like, if you're different, there's going to be people different, different in quotations, right? Like it's such a kind of bullshit thing, but like there are groups of people that because they don't fit into this manufactured idea of a norm that get targeted for not, you know, getting in line with the norm. And that's so ridiculous and yet it's such a common theme in humanity and so to see that represented and to see how the authoritarian sort of side of our culture often flips out because something is different but you know often that's just a reflection of those people flipping out being like oh i see this parts of this in myself and it's scary because it's scary to be different 
and that's so naive and so narrow-minded, but like I really appreciated the way that this is constructed to sort of shine a light on that kind of thing. I'm Spartacus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, no, that I mean, I just put it that way and you know, in what you're saying, there's the it's the how how this kind of story can be relatable to anyone and everyone just living in a overall oppressive society. Totally. And yep. <laughs> to, I guess, transition to just another standout aspect of this for me. You know, you kind of were uh, mulling what David Cronenberg's motivation was during this. And I'm like, <laughs> right. he's just a leather daddy, crazy leather daddy. That's is kind of, he represents the, uh, for me, like I read it as he's like the closeted queer is what that represents. When you're trying to like, parse that feeling of like what is his mm, exactly mm-hmm. is his aim he like hates them but he wants to be one i mean that right there is like he's the ultimate right. kind of um closeted senator kind of you know who who's on a war against um queer people it's, it's yeah i i would uh, another another possible read on it that i thought about was because i think that the main cop he feels more like the closeted queer person who's just he cannot deal with that part of himself. And so he's just like, just blow everything up. So Cronenberg, his character to me felt a little bit more like the actual representation of what people think is so bad or evil about like like the the characteristics that people place on things that they're scared of they say oh they're they're evil or they're they're unnatural or they're they're just out there for blood or whatever right they these things that they place on an- another because they're just naive and they don't they don't know what they're talking about and they and they don't take the time to actually get to know this thing that's different than them. That the imagined evil that often is brought up, I felt like Cronenberg represented actionable, actual evil. Like he just has bloodlust. He's just a evil, bad, maniacal psychopath who likes to kill people, who likes to be a bad person. And to me, he represents more the thing that people place on things that they don't understand in in actuality. And it's like the misplaced uh, idea of evil that often gets put onto, you know, others. He actually is that thing. So I, I kind of strip away the, the queer component from his character a little bit more and and identified more of the the main cop guy as feeling like this representation for closeted queerness violent closeted queerness anyway that's just my take i get that but i mean dude look at what he's wearing like that I guess I I don't know. I can see you you take where we're both coming from and put it together. I think you get the idea that like he's <laughs> he's beyond 
uh, anyone who would ever like identify one way or the other sexually. He's pure manic evil force, you yes. could say. Well, he's he's all the he's all the bad things like that we see in people. He's maniacal. He's obsessive. He's jealous. Like he's envious. He's all these things, right? Because he like clearly he wants to be like Boone and Boone is sort of this representation of like masculinity with like like a good balance of masculinity and femininity I feel like um that is threatening to to Cronenberg's character what was his character Dr. Dr. something Decker Decker that's right it's kind of a yes. weird play on like mixing Philip K. Dick and I guess Fred Decker, the director. Oh, interesting. It's, so he's Dr. Philip K. Decker. Huh. That's interesting. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I guess I I don't know. For me, I got less of that, like because of like his mask too. Um the the kind of the the eyeless, I mean it's button eyes, which is <laughs> such a weird thing. <laughs> But I love it. It's so that mask is one of the like to me one of the all time great great masks. The crooked mouth, zipper mouth is man. It's such a good design. It'd be a great Halloween costume, right? <laughs> oh, can you imagine strutting around with that on? Woo! Be fun, man. It would be crazy. But yeah, I don't know. So I just think. You know, we're kind of given a hot take in a, in a way, but like I'm sure that this is not unusual to to respond to and identify with the 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 queerness component, but you don't have to frame it that way. Okay. The end. <laughs> yeah, you're you're looking up. You want to say more? I well, was looking up. Did I have more to say? No. Well, really, I mean, I just uh, bring that up too to also say his performance and his casting, like when ever he was on so screen good. was when I was really sitting up in my seat. Like what a brilliant casting choice. And God, he does a great job. I'm trying to think like, what oh God, what is the movie that he's, he cameos in? I'm, I'm thinking of, I don't know. You know, I've seen, you know, he pops up and other things, but he does pop up here and there. Uh, yeah. Great job. It just brings that intensity to his acting that he does to his filmmaking. Really fun to watch. Let's see. He's he's in the he's in the fly. That's okay. He's the gynecologist in the dream sequence. <laughs> That's who I might be thinking of, right? <laughs> That's so good too. I love the fly. Ugh. Anyway, so yeah. I think all of that for me to wrap it sort of back around is to say that the fun and revelry, I guess, that Barker has for these quote unquote monsters is so pleasing and and so like I just think it's exciting to see for one thing the depiction and the the differences like nobody's the same in that group right like all of the night breeds are so specifically unique in their own individual design and it's like this weird party to go to and be like, oh, look at how beautiful diversity is and how different and people being different and also coexisting can be. 
And I like, I just love that message. I think it's, it's awesome. And it had uh, aesthetically that where they all live, that, that underground rave aesthetic, sort of like Zion yeah. meets little monsters or something. <laughs> yeah. That's an amazing comparison. That's perfect. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. You knew what I meant. Um, there's maybe that I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to try to tie this in to what we were saying. But as far as straddling two worlds is an idea you could say, you know, in this kind of st- story or looking at it with this kind of text. But uh, straddling two worlds, that idea came up for me in two different areas that I really latched on to and uh, stood out to me that I don't know if they're much talked about or noticed, but there's just, um, first there's that, the, the setting of the entranceway to Midian. There's that feel when it's like you're first arriving and I'm trying to think of other examples of this. It kind of feels like the outside of the labyrinth and labyrinth, hmm. mm-hmm. or it's it's that, or like was it not not Secret Garden or or Alice in Wonderland, where it's kind of sure. like the white rabbit seeing him jump around in the area right before he jumps down the well. It's sort of mm-hmm. this area that's like, or like let's say you're uh, what what you know in like a center of the earth stories or like yeah, yeah. under earth stories where it's like there's the cave that might have some of the creatures around and some like statues let's say that are representative of uh, actual creatures there. It's this really cool like portal between two worlds or realms just feel that sort of like, I don't know. It, it, it's 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 like you know we both watched per your recommendation, uh, Hellier. It's like mm, that yeah. whole thing. It just sort of drums up this this really exciting feeling of yeah, there are like there is a realm just beyond ours, and just something about those like simple shots of yeah those statues in the graveyard and just that anticipation of knowing we're looking for another world i i just love that so much and yeah know there are better examples too but you know what i mean as far as that being a thing i do i think that this thing this is one of the things that i've i always respond to is the threshold between realms is just something about that i don't know if where that comes from but it's always so exciting i guess i don't know exactly why to be honest but it's like kind of what you're saying the anticipation of discovery is so fun and then you get to like bridging the the space between realms and how you design that is always a really fun exercise yeah we've watched a couple giallo movies that did that thing where it's like once you get to the basement there's then a secondary door at the end of the basement that leads to an even further cavernous area and you can kind of yeah, like yeah, yeah. ad nauseum pursue that idea and you get further and further but yeah kind of similar to that the beyond that's the one that i was specifically thinking oh, yeah, of yeah the beyond hell <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh kind of to um dark water or was mm-hmm. it waters yeah it's like the island set the evil nuns, that whole one. <laughs> yeah. The monster at the end, all that. Um, 
And then uh, I can kind of, yeah, as far as what I was saying about these uh, uh, straddling two worlds idea, that's one of them. The other one, it's it's actually, I can think of it too. You know, I was just thinking of um, the Beyond set and that kind of like Southern Gothic feel is reminding mm-hmm. me of Angel Heart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> that's kind of also represent, I mean, it's kind of uh, both things I'm about to say where it's like, you you get the sense in Angel Heart when he's when he's pursuing the story, he's also pursuing like the the realm be just beyond ours. That sort of like the the whispering, uh, voodoo aware. You know, mm, people mm-hmm. in the shadows in the midst. There's kind of you know know and have an idea of, but yeah, and maybe this is just just same but different as far as uh the straddling the two realms that I already said, but the insane man at the beginning of this film who may, it actually wasn't insane, but you know, within the context of the institution, he's like trying to tear off or he does, he does tear off uh, his face. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> he goes for it. But um, just so kind of identifiable from our real world as you know, the crazy person on the street and, or, you know, in, in an institution or whatever, let's say. Um, but it feels like a Clive Barker thing too, where you, you know, in Hellraiser's all about these ideas as well, where just something in our like actual reality, something that someone is saying as far as self-destruction and, and death, self-mutilation, uh, you know, pain is just this or that, you know, these sort of grand mm. ideas mm-hmm. and speaking about it in those terms. Uh, something about the way Clive Barker approaches that stuff, and maybe it is just in the context of movie, those, you know, it's all true within the story, but it like, it, it gets that feeling going in me. It's like, yeah, maybe these like, just these crazy people, like it feels like they're onto something. It gives that sort of, um, that, uh, that cosmic horror feeling of, I don't know. Yeah. We're, you know, what we'd so easily write off is just crazy people spouting, whatever, trying to tear off their face just gives this me this feeling of, Oh, but what if they're onto something? Mm-hmm. Um, not even talking about the sense of real world or in the movie world, but just something about, I don't know. <laughs> well, straddling both worlds, like everything I'm saying. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not like not to get down too far of a <laughs> tangent, but I do sometimes think to myself like this idea of people being crazy or insane. So if somebody's schizophrenic, you know, we've we've classified their experience as like abnormal or or that they're not living in reality. And it's like that may be true. But you know what else might be true is that they are actually able to see a different version of reality that is is real. It's real to them. So, like, who's to say? And, like, what's the implication of that? And that's, like, a wild thought exercise to have with yourself. Right. I mean, we know we perceive things the way that we do because – not because of, but uh... – it's tied to or our sort of uh, our, our, our way to read it is on just the chemicals in our brain that just the amount and which ones are present could change uh, so much right. in our perception, reminding us that all everything is is a perception. So maybe that this that sort of 
belief or experience for me is this kind of that's that allows me to I, I don't know. There's just a, something really fun about this context of rather than just being able to like write someone off as the crazy person on the street being like, mm-hmm. oh, oh no, he's, he's, <laughs> he pops up tapped later in. in Midian. Yeah, he's tapped in. <laughs> yeah. Also, remember, they're people too. Yeah. They're not this like, you know, whatever the term would be, like, uh, on the unseen in a way, I think they get treated as a lot of the time. Yep. Put them away, lock them away. Yeah. Not cool. Till they die. Not, yeah. Uh, okay. How about um, <laughs> any other kind of like broad idea things? You want to get some more specific things here? Um specific specific sorry um, not yet no i think there's some things i'll come back to in our other sections all right well my favorite of the creature designs was the uh anything that wasn't as humanoid when it was like mm. you had the the bulbous monster with the head sticking out of the middle or all the monsters at the end hell yeah or like the weird lamb child that the girlfriend stumbles <laughs> yeah. upon. Oh my god! Like I, I loved that part when she's like walking through and sees yeah. that thing lying on the ground. Oh, who's this? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> and then, um, similarly too, on a design level, just all the sets were so cool. And if all Insane. the right, and if it's not enough just uh, to admire the sets of themselves how they're lit and everything to then blow them up is to appreciate them in a whole nother new light too. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. The design of Midian is very, (laughs) it's cool. It's out there though. It's this very strange primitive, I guess, feeling kind of (laughs) like, like it's so impractical if you think about it, right? Like having these like rope, bridge sort of things crisscrossing <laughs> everywhere <laughs> but but it's really cool to look at yeah could you imagine them all sitting there coming up with that yeah i like it though it's you know it's got kind of um what does it remind me of almost like an ewok village vibe or something it's to that tarzan's treehouse at disneyland yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Or are kind of like the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland, too. Yeah. Yep. I also loved it just talking about um, between worlds going from one world into the other. I loved that there was this whole huge ritual around him becoming Mm -hmm. a night breed. Stuff like that is just so fun. And when, when you have a group of people who take something so seriously and then have the, that, the once outsider joining them, but like taking that leap of faith and trust almost there's, I don't know, just mm-hmm. something very rite of passagey about that. That's right. fun. Or just joining, I don't know, just a sense of people getting together. Um, kind of like the fun too of, uh, I, you know, this put the, the queer reading again on it too. So that was it called. There's that great documentary on, voguing in like the the 80s and early 90s um paris is burning is that what's i don't know and um it's almost it's like that feel of going to uh 
like a Rocky Horror Picture Show for the first time or something. <laughs> Just like, yeah, like it's a, uh, yeah, as I already said, that rite of passage thing, but that sense of community that's just on the other end of it. There's something really fun and appealing about yeah, that. Yeah, being welcomed in to something, you know, and accepted into something is, a, it's a special thing. Even if it is a trial, it's still encased in this, like, again, this sort of revelry of acceptance. Which yeah. is great. And if there's fog and like <laughs> drinking of a beverage at some point and blood uh, ritual at some point, all great stuff. Hell yeah. All right. Well, anything else uh, you wanted to say for what worked or? We already touched on Cronenberg. That to me is the highlight. The The gore itself I thought was quite good. The The guy cutting his face off. Great. <laughs> Um, so, okay. So the biggest thing for me is, is really to kind of go a little bit further into the creature design. So a guy, Bob Keen, um, and, and his crew, they, they miraculously in pretty short time were the, the designers of, of all of the models and the, and all of that stuff. And I just think, it's so cool to see. It feels like an example of really collaborative free license. Like, hey, we need to do creature makeup and design and set design on on this strange level. And I, I imagine that Clive Barker being the person that he is had a lot of drawings and sketches and and ideas but they executed those things and it's a lot of design like the there's probably what 30 to 50 creatures all told and they're all very different and they're all very unique and uh, like i don't think any of them are are lackluster in any way like they're all awesome and i just i just Everything about the idea of getting together and collaborating to make a thing like that and having it shine in the sort of way that it does is so exciting. I, I mean, the dude, the sort of tentacle head dude who bites Boone <laughs> and his he's got two forms, which I really like. And a lot of them actually have kind of they have their kind of passive form and their aggressive form, which I think is really cool because um, they, you know, the <laughs> fight sequence and getting to to see how all of them you know the their aggressive monster side in the fighting is so fun there's the there's the the dude who says uh there goes the neighborhood who comes back later and has these like weird pincer arm tentacle things that come out like all of that stuff is the like to me that's the the meat and potatoes of this movie. Yeah. Like all my gripes kind of, I think are more story elements, but like from a, just a pure fun action design monster world realm building thing. Like that stuff's the, the tits, if you will, <laughs> if, if you will, uh, <laughs> I will. I did. The, yeah. And yes, agreed. And, uh, it's the one last element of the film that worked for me that I'll mention and that helped that big ending all come together in the ways we've been talking about creature design and 
love of the creatures, monsters, and all that. It's Tim Burton's score. How cool. Or, or sorry, sorry. Danny Elfman's. Yeah, go ahead. It was Danny Elfman's score, which that was my only exposure to this film prior, Tim, was I had this like Danny Elfman uh, uh, compendium soundtrack, <laughs> like was one of the first CDs I bought in middle school or something. Wow. And I remember just seeing like, yeah, it was, it was like sweet for Nightbreed. And I never knew what it was, but just when the opening credits came on for this, I just immediately brought, brought back. And it was just, it's funny because it is so unlike anything I'd imagine, I guess, because it's so unlike, uh, Tim Burton, you know, I mean, you mm-hmm, could find mm-hmm. the the overlap for sure. I mean, story wise, yeah. but just as far as um, as uh, I don't know, yeah, I mean, I mean, where their yeah, their differences are obvious. Um, I don't know, yeah, it was funny at first. The score, just I think I'm so used to hearing Danny Elfman with Tim Burton stuff that it was almost like whoa, like weird. This isn't meshing almost, but it it was absolutely mm. working for me by the end because totally a great composer like that can, what, I mean, what is their job just to but really bring out the depth and emotion of the situation. So it's really cool to have that by the end. And with the word fantasy being used to describe uh, this film felt really appropriate by the end too. Totally. Yeah. I, I knew the the second you hear that first, like, La la la. I was like, oh, t- yeah, this is Danny Elfman. Hell yeah. Here we <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, anything else or should we move on here? No, let's move on. All right. Here we go. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> All right, so like I, you know, there are a lot of things that are kind of just a taste thing for me. Um, I don't think it's like they're not really. I don't know how to describe it. I'll just say what they are, and you'll understand. I don't like this main actor. Like I, I just don't like him like there's something about him that makes me just kind of check out i'm like i don't find you compelling or charismatic or interesting in a way that i want i guess so it's so so subjective right but he just doesn't do it for me and so it's hard for me to like enjoy that's why I was like, everything else is what I'm enjoying about the movie, except for him. <laughs> right, right. Maybe, yeah, we both mentioned how much we love David Cronenberg in it, but... <laughs> <laughs> right. And, like, I've seen this guy in a couple other things. He's in uh, A River Runs Through It, which is, you know, I, I really like that movie, too. But I really dislike him as an actor in that movie as well. Like, he, he just... I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's something specific. I just don't I just don't dig him. Um so that sucks. I mean it just kind of like it takes the wind out of the sails of a movie cuz he's in well, I don't know 90% of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And then my other biggest gripe is this concept that I I kind of get why you do it this way, but the concept that Midian itself is just just a like 
cave system under a cemetery. Like, it's not hard to find. And I think what bothers me about that is that maybe it's just that how it's how it's presented as a concept or an idea to the characters in the first act makes it feel like it should be an actual other realm in in sort of the dimensional way that it's that it it's a place that to me I wanted it to be a place that doesn't exist on earth now i get from a like a metaphorical standpoint why you have it actually be a physical real place on earth um if you're if you're drawing the comparison to queer culture and how the people have been kind of forced to live in the shadows i get it like it makes sense but from from sort of a I guess, again, like a subjective, like what is appealing to me about other realms and the threshold to that is that I I just I'm more enticed by the idea of it being. It can exist in the real world, but I wanted it to be hidden more in a way like the gateway needs to be more magical to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean, like uh, like in Labyrinth, with that, which I mentioned or. The uh, yeah. the the portal in uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie, another favorite of mine. <laughs> but right. or I, remember what was what was the name of that movie? Damn, uh, with with all of the claymation monsters. Oh, the Do gate. You, is it the gate? You mean where, with, like in the backyard, the hole in the backyard? Oh no! The but I re- that's funny that you bring that up. That movie I was. During watching Nightbreed, I kept being like, there's a movie that this is reminding me of. And it is The Gate. You're right. My brother watched The Gate before me and had to, like, explain it to me before <laughs> I could watch it because I was, like, too scared to watch. I was a little young. I love The Gate. Um, no, it was one that we covered on on the, the podcast. Um, damn, I wish I could remember what it was. Doesn't matter. There's a moment in that movie where there's another realm and the and the main character literally like pushes his hand through the realm and there's sort of like oh equinox yes equinox thank you this this magical threshold component not having that made me think well shit they're just there that like this isn't mystical or like secret enough for my taste yeah, it's interesting how I still like got that feel and but because the feel of entering it felt fantastical, it never really registered to me as it wasn't actually fantastical, but you're right. It is just like <laughs> okay. it's literally an underground ca- cavern. There's no like uh yeah, when she goes down the rabbit hole, it's not like when when yeah, when she en- enters Wonderland, we aren't just going, "Oh, she's underground." She's in Wonderland <laughs> or same right. with same with Oz. It's not just like, oh, she got flown to Oz. It's like, oh, she went through someplace. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, there's something I guess it just doesn't work to me from a concept point of view. Like it doesn't feel quite f- fully thought out or something. It just doesn't quite 
I don't know. It's just not magical enough, I guess, for me. But on the flip side, like I said, I get why you why you make it just a place. Yeah, but you could still have, I guess, in, in your defense, like the... There could be not, 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 it wouldn't be a MacGuffin so much. Well, it's, it's like in the Super Mario Brothers movie. They need the meteorite piece to link the two worlds. So then sure. Dino yeah. Hatton can appear in Manhattan and then the, the Dino Hatton <laughs> people can rule our world, right? Yeah, so I mean, it's it, like it the, does. the police could have in this film, sort of through the help of David Cronenberg, been right. after the thing that is the mystical object that links yeah, the, the two worlds versus just kind of like waltzing in there with guns. And, like they just pull up. And that's always such a fun moment too in these, <laughs> yeah, those movies when it's like, yeah, rather than just pulling up where you see the, um, the, the, our reality grounded minded people, uh, being confronted with, uh, you know, whatever it would be, the, 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 the other realm crossing over for the first time. Whoa, yeah. whoa, can we shoot that? Whoa, whoa, what was that? Stepping through the Stargate, you know? Exactly. I think it adds, actually, from a storytelling point of view, it adds the element of knee-jerk reaction, the fear reaction, like shoot before thinking because you're sh- you're shocked into this moment of fight or flight. And that helps us kind of understand or get on board with this authoritarian reaction of like hard force. Just go in, shoot first, don't ask questions because – Whatever it is, it's something different and scary and we better defend ourselves from it. And it's like if you just stopped for a second and like backed up, you could maybe not have any of this conflict. Yeah. But that's to the point. right? I keep trying to think of examples that are getting at this. It's like the Nazis opening the Ark of the Covenant. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) All that. Um, Cool. Well, in the spirit of, even though that wasn't so much taste, that was in the story, but this, well, what is this? What did not work? We always try to pose it as educational in a sense, or but really comes down just to our own subjectivity and taste. So yeah. for me, there's a weird taste thing going on where with the creatures, where I agree I loved the variety. And as I said, I loved the non-humanoid creatures especially. Mm-hmm. But something about like this style of humanoid creatures, it, it is like a style. Like I was trying to think of a way to define it. It's like it feels like like a Star Trek alien meets Cirque du Soleil kind of. Or <laughs> you just see sure. so many of this style. Cause I mean, what are you doing? You know, on um uh you see so much of this style on just like every, you know, makeup artist's page because it's just you know what are you doing you're practicing um mm-hmm. on a person but it's like like if you're gonna have a tentacle face man i like it to the extreme of the tentacle face man like a guillermo del toro way or it's like that part of me that i loved werewolves as a kid but i just hated the wolf man because it just seemed like just, he's just still so much a dude in a way like <laughs> i don't know what about I, what about the moonhead guy that too yeah Mac the knife <laughs> oh that guy yeah yeah yeah. no um i don't know man I, I just for me like i like if if it's gonna be a humanoid monster it has to like 
past this certain very subjective arbitrary threshold I have of uh being being yeah closer to monster non-humanoid monster like if there's a if sure. there's a humanoid to non-humanoid monster threshold it can't be too close on the humanoid threshold for me totally that was the i totally get the it. longest time why i didn't get into star trek was i was always like just as a as a kind of bratty kid just be like it just looks like they shoved a fork up against their forehead like whatever you know i like <laughs> star wars uh yeah I love Star Trek now, and that now I I get it, and it's fine for that kind of um, uh, uh, what where you call it, where it's kind of grounded in not total science fiction, uh, far you know galaxy far far away, but like uh you know futurism almost you know I don't know sure can be a little more closer to us, but I don't know man it just all the just felt like Halloween costumes running around to me it's mm-hmm. weird I can see that. But at the same time, I love the design themselves, and I don't. I feel bad because it's like again that love of the monsters still comes through in the design. So, whatever. This is the section for that. It's the venting. Hey, it, to me, it's a little indicative of the short time that they had. You know, like I think some of the the designs could have been expanded on with more time and would have been. But you know, I get it. So be it. Yeah, I don't want to spend any more time on that, but all right. Yeah. <laughs> you have anything else? Um, I do. Um my, I guess my biggest thing really from a technical standpoint is and this is hard to kind of hash out when it's a director's cut, but in I I don't have the context of the theatrical cut to know what was added. But I do think that a half hour's worth of stuff was too much. It's 20 minutes longer, but um, also 20 minutes of alternative stuff. So it's like 40 minutes total that's new. I guess I just, I felt like there came this point where I was like, okay, we're kind of experiencing the same beat over and over again. It was sort of like kind of in the fight battle stuff where I just was like, let's, Let's push on here. Like we've we've gotten enough of this. It's it didn't feel like it was stacking in the way where the threat was getting bigger and bigger. It just felt like we were just watching a fight. And I I just kind of got bored with it to be honest. There's a whole like maybe 20 minutes where I was like, "All right, like let's let's get to it here." You kind of lose Boone and like his what he's trying to accomplish through in this section and not that that's necessarily the worst thing cuz i didn't really like him but all in all it just felt like the movie slogged for a minute in spite of the fact that it's the action sequence <laughs> so i don't know i was just kind of like i got bored which sucks i feel you yeah all right but that's really it great well it's fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's see if we can end on a high note here with our next section uh maybe we should like reverse those orders end on a positive note i don't know we're always wrestling <laughs> at least i'm always wrestling with a what did not work section but we do have our next section our indifferent observational section let's get mm. to it things of note things of 
This should be interesting. I just have a question. I because I I've never dove in, if that's a word, into dived into uh, Clive Barker. Really, um, what's his what's his deal? Like, is what what's he all about? I mean, that's what you should have researched and told us all about, Tim. This is this... yeah, but I want you. I want to hear it from you. <laughs> I mean, I don't know too too much about him. I know he identifies as queer and is an author as well as a filmmaker. And I believe this was his second film after Hellraiser. I know he's a uh, uh, British. I believe. Okay. I mean, that's cool. I've seen, I mean, he's an interesting dude to me in that he seems to be pretty prolific. Like he, across mediums, he's got comic books, he's got books, he's got novellas, he's got short stories, he's got plays, he's got screenplays, he's a director. Like, he's pretty impressive. I mean, he's an, like, visual artist, game producer. Like, it's... I'm fa- I'm kind of fascinated. I like want to know more about him cuz it's wild how prolific he is. He's, you know, he's not he's not that old either, man. He he pumped out a lot of content in the 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, I do I have on my uh Los Angeles Public Library like reading list um uh some of the the books that uh some of his books I want to get to. So at some point I'll read stuff of his and can get back to you. But I mean, listen to this. He <laughs> he occasionally, uh, apparently, uh, occasionally worked as a male prostitute or sex worker when uh, he wasn't making enough money off writing. Wow. There you go. Like, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. But like, he seems quite fascinating to me. Well, speaking of him being prolific or at least uh, stuff uh, having to do with Nightbreed going on to have um, more prolific life. It was cool to learn there were, yeah, comic books that tied in with the film's release, where it was a four-issue adaptation of the film, which was more related to, you know, his original vision for it, which I guess is, you know, the 2014 director's cut version, more related to that. But what was so interesting is that it continued the run of the comic book way past the end of the film. Like it went on to 25 issues total. So they got to tell this full Nightbreed extended story, which um, was kind of curious what that would look like. And in the Q&A that I watched of the, 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 the director's cut <laughs> screening of this film in Westwood in 2014, he said that it was... Uh, going to be the character Ashbury. Um, he was supposed to go on and find and empower the Nightbreed. So I guess that, which I didn't quite get from the film, but what I got from that quote was uh, that there were like, they're in other parts of the world. They aren't just in a graveyard Ooh. in Canada. Cool. Yeah. So like that could see, yeah, being a, in a story, so I don't know. That sounded cool. Well, they've made a they made a video game, and I was gonna say they made two video games that came up out uh, came out at the time too. I watched a video 
breaking them down of some guy playing through both of them. They were cool. made by uh, a company that's not LJN, but another video game, British video game company that uh, has a bad... Um, bad reputation for oh, no. kind of adaptations or whatever but it was so funny yeah the two games there was the one um nightbreed the action game that was like a side scroller or whatever and it's just one of those okay. terrible games where it was like every time you kicked he made the same like grunt noise or whatever uh, so it's just uh, yeah, just the uh. whole game is just that <laughs> um and then thought it was really interesting and kind of a fun um time capsule for this early late 80s early 90s era if you were around then but if you weren't folks there was kind of a a run of uh, well this was called Nightbreed the Interactive Movie but something that's more kind of like point and click adventure game where it was like you had characters that are you know this funny now classic graphic style talking at you weird interactive maps um, sort of like you jump into a, a, a um, like all of a sudden for a moment you have to press space bar really quickly to run away from tentacle head dude when he's trying to chase you <laughs> at the graveyard at the beginning all that cool. stuff um, yeah it's supposed to be not great but still fun that they exist and they're out there that's exciting well and I guess uh, most significantly which we've alluded to throughout this or as far as uh, something most unique about this film is it was one of those first instances of what is now a somewhat in vogue thing of the idea of a film being released uh, that did not adhere to the director's vision, but was largely mm. a product of the studio just trying to push it to put it in some sort of more marketing-minded direction. But uh, yeah, this was a first one where it, it was um, there was a fan edit or sort of cobbled together edit called the cabal cut where footage was found like in the 2000s that um was put together and then you know people had already already kind of heard of this missing footage and you know the story behind it um the the studio messing up clive barker wasn't happy with it he said the studio just didn't get the idea that the monsters like supposed to <laughs> they just didn't get the whole point of the story of like monsters being the good guys all that um, God, which you can't, yeah, cut out of them. Anyways, uh, yeah, it was Scream Factory who, you know, was like, oh, that'd be cool. We want to release Nightbreed, but you know, like they kind of do at the studio, um, Scream Factory, uh, release label. It's kind of like, uh, like what they'll do, um, like Beastmaster is a film, Tim and <laughs> you and I like, where, uh, Bro, I love Beastmaster so much. <laughs> right. Where, uh, the label that released that, re released that, they like did their best to track down the original long lost missing print, couldn't find it. But anyway, it's just fun to know there's these release studios labels out there trying to um, dig up footage and, or prints yeah. or whatever, whatever. But uh, it's Scream... wild that they can find it. Yes, exactly. So Scream Factory, they did successfully find this missing footage. And it was cool because Clive Barker kind of pointed out, you know, it took 25 years, whatever. But that um, if it hadn't taken that long, that the technology to restore like the mm. proper, like a proper, which I didn't actually saying it out loud again. And at the time I didn't quite get because wouldn't you not need to restore it so much if it was closer to the time <laughs> that it was shot? Uh, <laughs> but yeah. anyway, he made it sound like that thanks to it taking that long, the, the, on the technological side, it's the best it could have been. Um, 
So is this one of those uh, cool cases? And he put it as um, it transformed the film for him from such incoherence to such coherence. And it was the first instance, as far as he knew, of a, uh, that happening with a film. The original Snyder cut, if you will. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> wow. I bet that's a really exciting and like satisfying thing to get to experience, too. Yeah, especially if you're a fan of this movie way back then and had heard this being yeah. talked about through all the years. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Cool. All right. Well, if that's it for Nightbreed, we like to wind down here with some recommend dead shins. Tim, what would you like to recommend dead? Uh, I've been thinking about this TV show. Uh, we were, we, yesterday, no, two days ago, we recorded a follow-up episode of uh, our our co-connected um, podcast friends uh, podcast called uh, Shows with Friends, um, and they they posited what uh, some some other shows that we have been into or all time favorites type of thing. And I remembered this show that I love called Fringe. Uh, which was, I think it was like on uh, Sci-Fi Network, maybe, or maybe, maybe it was actually on Fox. I don't know. It was J- a J.J. Abrams show, uh, and it's just, you know, it's Monster of the Week for a little bit, but it turns into this wild, multi-interdimensional, like time-slipping, cool, weird sci-fi, just just extravaganza and unfortunately only had a couple seasons maybe three seasons and they had to cut it short but it's so well worth it um the the lead uh actor whose name of course i can't remember off the top of my head is really good she's she's also in um mind hunter uh she's great um everybody's great in it it's really fun uh it it's it's got that kind of like Let's just like all bets are off. Let's just go nuts with the sci-fi. And I I just, it's fun. It's a great show. Check it out. It's something I've only heard of in name and yeah, I didn't really have an idea about. So maybe I will. Anna Torg is her name. Torg? I believe so, yeah. <laughs> Torg. She's like Swedish or something. Got know. it. Cool. Well, uh, to stay in our theme for today of... Uh, queer gay cinema or you know we're hate we're kind of like we're forced to use those terms still i i hate having to use labels at all but we're still in that world uh i watched a film that was a uh a, a, a rom-com i guess you'd call it <laughs> from <laughs> yeah yeah no it was, it was yeah because that's what you'd call like a when harry met sally or something right? yeah Sure. Yeah, uh, called Saving Face from 2004, directed by Alice Wu. It was, um, yeah, about Chinese-American lesbians uh, and sort of, you know, at the dealing with their the the their 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 culture that it's <laughs> not looked too kindly on their ways but it was like so sweet and just it just reminded me like just how just making i don't know i just get so much more into it when it's just like yeah i'd rather watch two women in a rom-com <laughs> to be honest <laughs> you know <laughs> it's fair so yeah, it was really good. It was on Criterion Channel right now uh, from 2004, Saving Face. I Yeah, it was super, super fun, enjoyable. Check it out. Maybe I will, Ryan. 
<laughs> is that a threat? Yep. I hope you do. I think I have a better track record of watching your recommendations. <laughs> Probably. Cool. All right. Well, that's it. We wind down with our recommendations. Uh, I wanted to close out here, Tim, with uh, some words from Clive Barker himself from a two-minute intro that he made for the original VHS release of Nightbreed. Oh, wow. All right. Let's <laughs> he hear said, it. I hope the breed will remain with you as they remain with me. After all, we all need a few friends to get us through the night. In closing, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>